Hey, everybody. Welcome to Maine Education Matters, the show that looks at all things policy from the Education Cultural Affairs Committee, Maine Department of Education, etc., for following all things that happen in Augusta, as one of our as one of our previous uh, co-hosts used to say. We listen so you don't have to. I'm Matt Turekar, your intrepid host for this in our ninth season. Today, what we're going to do is we are going to be doing a bit of a recap of the 131st legislative session, the first session of the 131st. And uh, to help me through this, I'm going to be using the Drummond Woodson's annual uh, Drummond Woodson's annual legislative update that they provided at a at a, at a meeting they had back in um, back in the fall, back in September of the, September 20. And this particular podcast is going to focus only on student rights and special education. So these are some of the bills, not all of the bills. I'm not going to go through all of them because there's a lot of them, but just some of them that might have a significant impact on education. They're all, they're all going to have a significant impact, but the ones that I just want to take a minute to talk about. Uh, for, a mi- for, a, for a moment, or excuse me, for example, uh, an update, uh, LD98, an act to update special education laws, extended the special education eligibility to those who are under 22 years of age. Um, so it was formerly 20 years, now it's 22 years. Uh, and it also provides that the least restrictive environment, the provision of full-time or part-time educational programming that is equitable to programming provided to typically developing same-age peers. So again, least restrictive environment, as much as possible, equitable to programming provided to typically developing same-age peers. I don't know what this is going to do for special education students in special education across the districts. I'm not really sure, but it could have an impact on um, staffing. It could have an impact on a lot of things. So one one of those ones to pay attention to. Another one, LD-393, resolve. Uh, this is regarding physical restraint and seclusion, and it uh, approved the language that the DOE put forward. Um most notably, quote, under this rule, school units must hold a meeting after every three incidents of physical restraint or seclusion of a student. However, they are not required to hold more than one meeting within 30 days. So what what this matters because teams will likely be meeting more often to discuss incidents of restraint or seclusion. And for anyone who's been in a school district and knows that staffing might be, is, and will be a challenge, this could pose significant problems because if you have to have meetings, when are these meetings going to take place? They usually take place during the school day, which means we've got to pull more people out of schools, classrooms to cover more people for more meetings. I'm not saying these meetings aren't justified. I'm saying that there is a cost to the benefit of having it. Um, Another one that was not necessarily uh, special education, but again, student rights, LD 436, an act to provide career and technical education students with credit toward high school graduation for work completed in career and technical education centers and regions. There's been a lot of stuff with CTE and happening over the course of this particular last last, last session and whatnot. Now, what this one says is it requires that SAUs and, and CTE centers have to propose and develop equivalency programs by the school year 25-26 so that students in CTE programs can gain core credits toward a high school diploma as part of the CTE curriculum. So what this is saying is that if a student decides to go to a CTE program, then that CTE program and the high school have to work together to create a pathway to ensure that the students are meeting both the CTE standards, the industry standards that are required, and the main learning results that are required. 
there are ways to do both. And so this doesn't happen right away. This is hap- We have a couple of years to plan this out. I know a lot of districts have been planning it out. And there's been a, there's been a word that's been being thrown around for this. Um, and it's a comprehensive high school that it's a program that, you know, has CTE and uh, traditional high school curriculum, et cetera, uh, in it and one building in one particular place. Now, some will say we have some examples of these in the state. I know that like Oxford Hills was created as a comprehensive one. There's one down, I think it's Saco area. And I think Mount Blue was originally designed to be a comprehensive school where their CTE and academic high school are together. Where they all stop being comprehensive, in my opinion, is where they are separating out the classes. They are still separating out ELA, they're still separating out the main learning results, and they're separate in classes and graduation pathways, and they're still separating out the CTE. They are not integrating those two as well as they could or should be. Now, I know there's some work being done down in areas like Bonnie Eagle and Westbrook, et cetera, where they are sending um, and hiring teachers to go part-time into the Westbrook. And if I'm butchering this, I apologize. I'm going to do my best to explain it. But basically, teachers get to go into the ELA teachers or math teachers get to go, I forget which content area exactly, go into the Westbrook CTE Center and actually do standards alignment work and work with students to um, connect their work that's happening at the CTE Center to those academic standards required by the main learning results. That's great. That's wonderful work. And it's a great way to start breaking down the barriers of CTE and traditional high school. But the comprehensive high school model that's been done here has still kind of separated them out. They've still split them out into two different places. Um, and there's been some work, and there was a there was a committee that was formed based on legislation from this past uh, this past session, and I'll, that one was um, uh, LD-1283, a resolve to reestablish a task force to study the creation of a comprehensive career and technical education system. So they're looking at how to create this. Now, what's interesting about this bill in particular is that this bill was looking at an example of a potential comprehensive high school in Brunswick that was, gonna, that was being proposed through the Region 10 and platform and that what the idea basically was was it would take students from bath and from ms8075 and from brunswick and from freeport and bring them into this one particular facility in brunswick and provide them with a comprehensive education which would be you know that integrated method methodology of um you know cte integrating and and traditional high school together and i love this idea the concept, I think, is right. Where, where, in my opinion, this concept went awry was where they started taking kids full-time away from those other districts and away from the other CTE centers because that takes away bodies from those buildings, which takes away funding from those buildings, from those districts. And I, and I, and I question, I question myself, what is the difference between a, say, charter or magnet or um, partially private school, for example, and that 
the region that in that particular project. What's the difference there? Why why is it different? Because it, it it feels very in the way that they would be having students come into their school very similar to those other platforms or those other school designs. Now, I can say as of right now, December 14 on 2023, according to the Bangor Daily News, the state task force that have been looking at this voted against building that tech school. Uh, so according to the, to the uh, Bangor Daily News article, again, December 14th, uh, by Melissa Lizotte, hope I'm saying your name correctly, or Lizotte, quote, a group asked was studying the feasibility of building a comprehensive four-year CTE school, voted against that proposal. During the final meeting in Augusta on Thursday, the task force voted 10 to 6 against building a new school due to concerns about the estimated cost and potential negative impacts on current CTE programs in area schools. For instance, if a school was built in Brunswick that could take away students from Bath Regional and Technical Center, said Julie Kenny, Bath Center Director. Since CTE funding from the state is tied to three-year averages for student enrollment, any decrease in students could take away a program's funding for staff instructors. That has always been my concern with this project, and it, and it looks like the the board that was voting on the task force saw the same thing. So then how do you do this? How would you create a comprehensive high school project? How would you create a comprehensive high school? How would you do that? Well, back in like 2017-ish, the Department of Education put out to bid a kind of a competition um, on how to do this, on doing this very, 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 very thing. And there were three districts that were ranked and were like awarded that, yep, you're, you're the three winners more or less. But, and what they would do is they had a pool of money and they would pay for a lot of the, um, they would pay for a lot of the expenses and, they, and this would be uh, to create a fully comprehensive high school. A, and come up with a design, come up with an idea, and so there were three districts that uh, won that uh, project. There was, it was one was up in Holton, one was up in Fort Kent, and another one was, and I'm using just those you know, areas, or, or yeah, I think it was Holton, and the other one was in the Dexter area. Full disclosure, for those of you who know me, in my other role, my, my professional role, um, I am employed by them. And I may have been a part of the, actually I completely was part of the design of that particular project. And the one that we, we did, we came in third. Now... Here's the interesting part. Um, so what wound up happening is the first two projects did not succeed. The Holton, Holden area and the Fort Kent area one did not, did not work out. They, they couldn't come together on governance. They couldn't come together on a lot of things. You can go find information on that. Um, and when it came down to giving the third district Again, I'm trying to be fair, my district, when I work with, uh, the opportunity to go forward with this particular kind of project, the Department of Education uh, has been withholding the funds and not allowing, not, not forwarding the funds to pay for 
that district or the the school districts because there were there were three districts potentially four school districts that were on board for this design and the design of this as I, and I can speak to that the design of this project was a fully integrated comprehensive high school where the content the core curriculum was not ELA math etc it was based on labor market data and it would be fully integrated um, content that was focused and purposeful and meaningful in areas where that that people could see potential jobs or potential careers from this was all this was all part of it and um looking at there's a there's actually a 2023 april 17 bangor daily news uh, article that talks about the challenges that we're that, that that district is facing because of the funding and the funding not being available like it was available for the prior two projects. Okay. So the DOE is and the and the, and the education commun- com- uh, committee is pushing for this act to provide CTE education students with credit to do this comprehensive stuff. We now also have this bill. We have this bill LD46 chapter 247 that requires this 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 um equivalency program between CTE and high school required in 25-26. There is a model that has been supported and was awarded. There is a model out there, but why is the why are the DOE and they're pushing one model over another? And that's a question that I don't have an answer for. But I'm just curious as to I think that it's something that people should ask questions about. And I and I'm trying to be very careful and because I clearly am biased in this area clearly and i'm not shying away from that bias however there are also fa- there are also facts and so i'm trying to be factually based and so the 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 DOE has been championing and wanting to push this 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 program and um well maybe they haven't been championing i shouldn't say that but they've been they were tasked with this with a task force to evaluate this and look for it and they they've they they've they were yeah so the D, so the DOE and the legislative committees have been working to try to figure out how to do this and i guess what i'm saying is there is an example of one that could be done why aren't they looking at it and why aren't they supporting it like they supported the others like they've gone through discussing and, and and discussing and ad nauseum over this other uh, this other project region ten why why the one and not the other and I don't know the answer to that but I think it's worth asking questions and I think if you know the answer I would love to know more about it and so the other thing about this bill LD forty four thirty six the act to provide CTE education students with credit towards high school graduation for work that's completed in the CTE centers is that it's it it sounds like something that happened in this state a while ago or that was happening and it still kind of is in many places i'm i'm just i'm just forgetting the word and i know that there are people in their on their cars or they're whatnot saying don't say it matt don't say it 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 please don't say it don't say it and i'm not going to say it i'm not going to say it I'm competent enough to not make that 
error because I want this stuff to go through personally and professionally. And I know the impact that it could have. However, I will say this. If you really look at what it's asking people to do, to meet standards in anywhere or any place, anytime, and that the it's kind of that learning is owned by the students themselves and that it is like personalized in a way, well, you can look up those words themselves and see where, 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 where it all leads you and you can make up your own mind. But if you listened to me before, you know, know what I'm talking about. Um, okay, let's talk about another bill. Let's get on to a different topic. Uh, LD717 is interesting. An act to adopt the audiology and speech language pathology interstate compact. Why, why are you talking about this? Because what this... Enacting this interstate compact designed to facilitate the practice of audiology and speech-language pathology across state boundaries, Maine is improving public access to these services by, quote, recognizing licenses of providers from other states that are also members of the interstate contact compact. So schools are going to have better access to audiology and speech-language pathology services. So couldn't so great. that We know that those services and people like that are, are hard to find, hard to come by. We now have more access. And I'm super on board for all of that. Another one, LD873, was an emergency bill, an act to continue the Department of Education diploma program related to the COVID-19 pandemic. So if you remember correctly, what this bill did is, or this the, the COVID-19 diploma, uh, basically, was one that would allow students to still earn a diploma, even though if their earning was impacted by covid and if they were impacted negatively, like they couldn't be in school, they couldn't be there, et cetera. Here's where this one gets for me, why I think this is an important one and why I think school districts need to pay attention to this one and create systems and structures for it to make sure that we're giving our students the best fair, fair, fair deal. We still ask people to report if they have COVID. There are still protocols in place that we still follow, Right. Do schools, do districts, or to what extent do schools and districts still or maintain adequate and effective tracking of student attendance when it's COVID-related? Are they, is it just attend, is it just absent, or are they making it like COVID-absent, or are they making it something else? Do they ha- is that an option? Because you, you're going to want, if, if it is COVID, you're going to want to keep track of that because that time can then be applied towards the kids getting the diploma, especially if it's impacted their teaching and learning. And I worry that there will be kids out there who either do, or systems that don't keep that idea in place or don't monitor that structure. And then students later on will could come down. I, I was impacted by COVID, but I had... I don't have the option to, to, the, to the, I'm getting these bad grades or I'm getting this because I had COVID, which could then have an impact on the diploma, which could then ripple effect. I don't know if I, I might be overreacting to all of this, but it seems to me a simple solution that districts should be involved in and make sure that they're doing is tracking the attendance in that way and making sure that if a, kid, if a kid's sick, to the extent that we can ask uh, or get information that the, if the student has COVID or not for monitoring purposes for that purpose, I think that will help and go a very, very long way. LD, another one, LD, um, and again, I'm, just, I'm skipping around. There's a, there's a bunch of them. I'm only going to go through a, a handful of them today. Spent a lot of time on CTE. Uh, 
1260, a resolve to study expansion of civics education and engagement throughout the secretary, through the secretary, (laughs) resolve to study expansion of civics education and engagement. Okay, so there there was a task force that was created to review things that happened during the school day. And there was... Yeah, to look because there were there were several bills that came forward. Some of them passed, some of them didn't pass. But like one came forward about requiring personal finance as a course. One required, you know, health and graduation to be required under the the standards because it is it is required, but it's not required to be met for a diploma. So it's required to be given, to be available, uh, or to students to take, have access to. But it doesn't. But they don't have to demonstrate any kind of meeting proficiency. Um, for, did I say that word already today? No, I didn't, did I? Okay, so, but but the, the students meet proficiency in that content area to um, demonstrate that they've got it, right? Or, you know, the, 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 the like right now the diploma program pathway is like four years of English or standards met, okay? So it gives a little bit of an option there putting health and physical education in there. There was one about hunter safety, I believe was a potential option. There's also conversations about, you know, lunch periods and nutrition. So 30 minute lunch periods and requiring the, that. A bunch of those bills. So the DOE comprised a task force to look at all of that stuff, to look at all of those things and to have a discussion about to what extent can we, can the DOE, can the, uh, I mean, it, the DOE did let it, but it was of course legislatively designated, et cetera. Um, so to look at how, how the school day works and what might be impact, what might what might be ways in which things could be better. To what extent could a 30-minute lunch be mandated and what would the impact of that be across the state? And this was one of those that was part of part of that whole thing. And that task force uh did their work, has wrapped their work, and I believe their report should be sometime in January. An act, uh, LD 1389, an act to establish a mobile learning lab. This happened, and this is happening right now, and it's going to be based on life science and biology, and it's really exciting. Um, and it's, it, it is being built and designed, and I know the folks at Educate Maine are leading the way in that, and kudos to you. And I hope it goes well. But that's that's a really great thing that that is happening. I I still wonder about logistics, given the um, distances between schools and, and districts, and given how how to sign up for it and how useful and or not not useful useful is the wrong word how immediately relevant it would be because I know a lot of teachers are like I want this now and then. It's going to require some definite planning. Definite planning. Um, another one I want to talk about is an uh, LD 1861, an act to reduce chronic student absenteeism. So what this law did, it created a definition of, quote, chronically absent student is a student that is absent 10% or more of school days and includes absences that are excused, unexcused or discipline related. All right. 
10% or more of school days. So that's going to be about 17 days. It's good to have that definition clear. And students who are either chronically ill or who have other issues going on with, 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 with them or maybe something, something happens, I, I, it seems it's, it's, it's important to have this definition in line. I'm wondering how it's going to be used and is it going to be used to be punitive to schools? Kind of is already. It's part of the uh, ESEA dashboard. It's part of one of the, you know, the, remember the whole report card thing that schools had out? Well, that all this stuff still out there. And chronic absenteeism is one of those areas. And it's good to have a definition. It really is good to have a definition. But like all things, like all things, if you get the base, the baseline number, there's a story behind the number. And it's the story that really matters. Because just looking at the number... My, my concern is that there might be a case where a student is absent 15% of the year. And that's, that's a lot of time. I, that's, that's like a full month of school. I get it. That's a lot of time. And it might be justified. It might truly be justified. Outside of the control of the parents, of the kid, of the school and the school district. When it's just at a number, it can be very easy to say, "Well, sorry, you didn't meet the number, so there you go. You, you, don't, you don't, you didn't meet that profession. You didn't meet that that level." But the context is what matters, and so my worry is that if this number is going to be continue to be part of the 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 def, defining moments of how to define whether schools are meeting standards or schools are you know, needing tier one, tier two, tier three supports, et cetera. To what extent are they looking at just the basic number or are they going to the context? Are they actually going to like look at the number instead of having that number being the end, being the beginning? Instead of, nope, this is what it is. Boom. There we go. We're done. Okay. You were, this, your school was at averaged at a 15% chronic absenteeism. Let's take a look at that. And you find out that, oh, it's a small school and there was two students who brought that number up high because there's context there, right? This is the stuff I'm talking about. The context matters so, so incredibly, incredibly much. There were a lot of other bills that came out. Um, and I'm going to get into some other ones in a follow-up podcast. I just wanted to focus these on basically student rights, special education, and I think that's about all I want to talk about for this particular podcast. There will be there will be others and there will be some coming up that I am certain certain that I will spend some time on because I've already spent time on some of them. And 
also other ones that I haven't spent time on. You know, for example, uh, coming up this past LD 1756, an act to employ uh, an act to protect employee freedom of speech. That's a huge one. That is a huge one. Um, another one is the bill on, and I, again, some of these are, are some of these are actually uh, finance focused, but like LD um, two fifty eight, believe it is. Got that right? Yeah, yeah. A uh, that's right. LD two fifty eight, an act making uni- unified appropriations and allocations from the general fund and other funds for the expenditures of state government and changing certain provisions of the law. Sounds well. I don't want to talk about that because this has all. Of, it's all about paid family and medical leave, and that's a big issue. That's a big issue for state and for districts that they should make sure they know about. So I will actually go into some detail about like. Um, what's it? Uh, finance stuff? Not a whole lot, because I'm I'm still struggling with you know all of that. But there are some bills that I may not have covered in the first first few first session that really actually require some more um, diving into. Um, You know, the other one is the one about about the rule regarding the duties of school counselors and school social workers, the major substantive rule. That's we'll, we'll talk. We'll get into that one again, too. Um, or the resolve studying, allowing um, parents to opt out of lockdown drills for the children. There are so many more. And I want to just go through a few today and not take up all of my time and your time discussing some of the recaps. So. Um, may, I think for, 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 for me, for what I really t- um, am taking away from this last session, there's a lot of clarification of updating on laws. There's a lot of clarification on special, updating special education laws because special education laws changed and they have to update, update, update as well. And uh, CTE. And how are we going? That, that, the biggest one is that uh, equivalency program. And how are we going to do that? And maybe there are some examples of places to look within the state that might be either doing it, trying it, um, or could be trying it if given the chance. And they're they're ready to go. So that's it for this particular podcast. Uh, we will be back with another recap. The next recap will probably focus on areas like Ooh, I hit my mic. Like labor, employment, retirement, and school operations, and possibly getting into things like Freedom of Access Act. So that's coming up in our in our next podcast or so. Uh, we're trying to get these out every week. Uh, I will say this too: um, if you are interested in seeing what's coming forward in this particular session, you don't know where to look. Go to our Facebook page, Facebook.com/slash Main Education Matters, or our Twitter/slash X page, which is Main Main Ed Matters. Main Edu- and sorry, a little frog in my throat there. Uh, Main education matters. You can find us out there, and links to the um, our bill tracker. It's a Google Sheet that ha- and uh, you can to follow along with all the bills. And right now, uh, on that page, you can see all of the not only carryover bills that are coming forward that were not heard or were paused 
uh, in the 131st first session, but also any of the new bill titles that are coming. And I'm going to do a podcast on that one later as well. Recapping and recovering, or recovering, recapping um, and, and exploring that. But if you wanted to see those right now, they're there. I don't have the links active as of this recording, but I'm going to be working on that, getting those links, getting those bills linked as soon as I can. So go there, check out our stuff. Um, as always, if you like what we're doing here, let us know on either Facebook or the main Education Matters uh, Twitter slash X page. We really appreciate you sticking with us all this time, and I am grateful for all of you for listening and for continuing to follow us. Thank you so much, and I hope you enjoy the wonderful weather that we're always having here in Maine. Take care. <laughs>